0: If not, I invite you to turn with me to the third chapter of the book of John, John chapter 3. As the calendar neared the end of November and finally turned to December, I began to consider Christmas and the birth of Jesus and the arrival of our Savior, the incarnation of God. I began to think about what we see in Christmas, and certainly we go through the narratives, the the accounts in the book of Matthew, and the book of Mark, and the book of Luke, and we see what transpired when Jesus was born. We hearken back to the prophecies we see from book of Isaiah, to the book of Psalms, to the other prophecies, even back to the book of Genesis, the third chapter, the 15th verse, all the prophecies of becoming Messiah. And in all of those things we see and we know of the events that came to pass and the arrival of our Lord. But while we see those events, there was a a purpose, there was a Nature. There is a character of God that was on full display in those events, and that nature, that character of God that was on display in the arrival of Jesus, in the incarnation of God, in, in in the office of the Son, is of love. Christmas is a story, an account, a testimony of God's love. For the world. We're going to read that in just a second. For God so loved the world. There's a book that Gary Chapman wrote, I believe I got the author's name right there, about the different love languages of people. Some of you probably read that. You've got all these different ways in which people see and, and, and show and receive love. And um, it's a useful book for, for couples, especially um, as they encounter challenges or as they are getting married, to, to go through and understand how to display the love and the affection that they have for one another and to, to show that outwardly. And um, it's good to, to have that insight and that understanding. It's a book that I, I can recommend to you uh, to, to, to use for that reason. God has displayed, He has demonstrated, He has declared His love to us in giving His Son for us. The prophet Isaiah spoke of that. He said that unto us a Son is born. Unto us. He was born for our sake. He lived for our sake. He died for my sins. He was resurrected for my justification. God has displayed and demonstrated His love to us in this way. That He gave His Son to die for us. If you want to know about the, the, the heart of Christmas, the, the reality of Christmas, about the, 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 the greatness of the reality of why we celebrate the birth and the arrival of Jesus, it is that it was a display of God's love and that He provided for the world a way that they could be reconciled unto Himself. That a fallen world could be made right with the Holy God is only possible because of the loving nature of that God that was displayed to us, to the world, in the giving of His Son. And I want to show you a few different ways and realities of that here today as we see how God says or or demonstrates to us, maybe more so, how He says, I love you. John three, verse 16. I want to read just a handful of verses here. and I'll, I'll go through a different a number of scriptures today uh, as we look at this. But uh, let's begin right here with uh, perhaps the most well-known verse in all the scriptures. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, For every one that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest that they are wrought in God. And we'll stop there at verses 16 through 21 of the third chapter of the book of John. Jesus is having a conversation here. This is towards the latter part of his conversation with Nicodemus. And he just demonstrates fully and clearly that the purpose for his coming was that there would be a demonstration of God's love that his son would be born to die for our sins. He said, God has loved the world in this way. Here is how God has demonstrated his love and that he gave his only begotten son. Now we need to talk about a couple of aspects of that. There are some translations that don't include the word begotten. I think that it is an important piece. That if it is missing, it is failing the text, and it is failing the reality of what God did in giving His only begotten Son. Because it reveals to us and it demonstrates to us that Jesus Christ is God! If He was not begotten, but just one that was called a Son, then it might mean that He did not have the same character and nature as God. But Jesus is is God. He has the same nature, the same attributes, the same character as the Father. He is one of the three-part office of God. We have God the Father, and God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and our triune God. In the Trinity, we have these three. And so Jesus is Emmanuel. He is God with us. This was a Son that was born unto us, but it was God in the flesh. Jesus here as He was speaking to Nicodemus, Nicodemus was talking to God. At that point, we can't lose that. If that point is lost, then we're standing on nothing and what we're doing today it is foolish. But I want you to know today, and I will declare to you as a fact, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And He is the only begotten of the Father. And He thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but He left the splendors in heaven. He saw it as something instead that He would take upon Himself of no reputation, and that He would become obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, that He might take away the sins of the world. Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God. And God gave Him that through Him that whoever would believe would not perish, but have everlasting life. God loved the world so much that there was a plan of salvation before the world was ever spoke into existence. Before the world was, Jesus stood as a lamb that was slain, as a sacrifice that would be made, as a son that would be given, that through Him we would not perish, but have everlasting life. God knew of His plan of creation he knew how he was going to shape the world into its existence, into its form. He knew how it was going to transpire, how he would speak, and out of nothing there would become something because God is all powerful. Just a quick note, just because I can't resist to point this out. Science can't do that, science can't make something out of nothing, but God can. The Big Bang Theory just won't work. Because you can't get something out of nothing unless you're God. And that's exactly what He did. But before He ever spoke the world into existence, before Adam was ever created out of the dust of the ground, before Eve was ever formed by that rib that He took from Adam, before the ark before the children of Israel were led by Moses, before Daniel and the boys were taken into captivity and in bondage in Babylon, before the prophets, before Solomon, God knew that there would be a need of salvation. That this world, that this, the, this, this human race that He would create an Adam, that it would not of its own be so righteous as though it could maintain the relationship that it would be created in with God. He knew of a fall. And He knew of a need for a fallen race to be reconciled unto Him. But His holiness, God's holiness, prevented that He would have a relationship with a fallen world. How could He? How could the light have fellowship with darkness? Jesus makes that point a little later on. He says, how can light have fellowship with darkness? I ask you today, how do we see right now? It's because there's light, right? Well, I ask you, what's preventing this room from being in darkness? The lights are on and coming through the window, right? But if we were to go into a room that was closed off with no light, we would see darkness until what? Until light would arrive. Darkness has to flee where there is light. And light then can have no fellowship with darkness. And so how could a righteous God ever have a relationship with a fallen world? Except that that righteousness of that God be demonstrated to us and sacrificed that we could be reconciled unto Him. No one else could do the job. You can't live righteously enough. You can't live well enough. The Pharisees, though they tried to observe all 600 plus laws, they couldn't do it. Paul reasoned. He said that there might be reasons that somebody might die for someone. He said, peradventure, perhaps someone would die for a good man. He said, but... (laughs) I'm going to get ahead of myself a little bit. But he said that God has demonstrated His love towards us in this way. And that while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. (laughs) You see, perhaps I could sacrifice my life for my children. Perhaps I could lay down my life for my wife. (laughs) But my doing so, while it might spare them from death, it won't spare them from eternal death. None of our lives were enough that we could be a sacrifice in such a way that we could be reconciled unto God. There was nothing that man of himself could do to be reconciled unto God. God Himself had to do it. (laughs) Isn't that incredible? God Himself made the way for us to be found righteous. That's the love of God. That He is the one who made the way that we could be counted as righteous. I'm going to talk about that in just a second. And so Jesus died for us even while we were yet sinners. Did you know That nobody has ever gotten saved before that was perfect. Nobody has. Everyone that's ever been saved, there's something common about them. They've all been sinners. Only sinners can be saved. If you think you're not a sinner, I want you to know you're not going to find salvation. Those that come to Him must believe that He is and that He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. And no man will come to Christ. No man will come to God if they themselves think themselves to be sufficient. If you're going to come to God and find salvation, if you're going to come by way of the cross, you must come humbly into Him as a little child would come to their Father. So only sinners can be saved. But I want you to know that there is none good. No, not even one. The Bible is clear that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is not a single one of us that has lived up to the the ranks, has lived up to the level of holiness and righteousness that is present in God. That we've all fallen short of that high mark. That we've all fallen short of that high calling. As we see in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Yet Jesus died for us even while we were yet sinners. He died for me in, in spite of all of my faults. He died for me in spite of all of my iniquities. He died not just in spite of them, but he died for them. He died for this purpose that my sins could be forgiven. God gave His Son because it was only through His character and through His nature, that being the nature of the Father in which the Son shared that there could be a sacrifice that was worthy enough that it could do the job that we might be reconciled back to God. There was no other plan that could cut it. There was nobody else that could do it. So God gave His Son to us because He loved us. We sing that song sometimes. Because He loved me, the Savior died. And on the cross, was crucified. He suffered and died. Why? Because He loved me. We celebrate Christmas. We celebrate the incarnation of God because we are celebrating and honoring and commemorating that God loves us. Brother Jeff, I guess, preached the message this morning. God loves us. He really loves us. Not just in some poor small, impartial or partial way that we would think about, but He loves us in full and He loves us entirely and He loves us all the time. You might go so far that you think that you have escaped God's love that you're just so far removed that you can no longer feel His Spirit with you. But I want you to know today, even if you have gone that far, God still loves you. And He won't stop. The Old Testament writer testified and he realized about the faithfulness of God about the love of God, about how it was new every morning, about how Brother Corey spoke about, about how we just expect the sun to come up each morning. And we know that each time the sun rises, that God's mercy and His love, that they will be renewed with the rising of the sun. He loves us. And He loves us every day. And He loves us all day long. is that incredible? And not only so, but that love is constantly displayed to us. Spouses, husbands, wives, there are times in which you you probably always love your wife or always love your husband. There's probably times you don't really like them a whole lot. Good, I don't see any heads shaking yes. Nobody's testifying of that in front of each other. That's good but I know I'm speaking accurately. And in those moments, you want to be away from them. Now I see some conversations happening. This isn't good. But in those moments, you want to be apart, don't you? You want to separate just for a moment because you you just need a moment to, to not be around that person. That's the nature of the flesh is what it is. But God loves us in such a way that He was near us and desires to be closer to us all the time. Oh my! Oh, how He loves us! That He would desire a relationship with you even when you might seem like you're at your worst. No wonder Scripture tells us that He sticks closer to us than a brother. He is closer to us than a sister. He is closer to us than our closest family relationships. See, the nature of the flesh is that sometimes we let each other down. But the nature of God is that He's never once failed. He loves us. Now some people are mistaken about this love of God. And Jesus talked a little bit about it here. They have this idea of Jesus as though He refused to condemn sin. I want you to know that that's not the case. Jesus condemned sin. And He condemned it in clear displays at different times. And other times He just, he declared it in more meek ways. But there is a condemnation of Jesus against sin and it was revealed in how He lived and that He lived righteously. Jesus Himself said that He came not into the world to condemn the world. Why? Because the world of itself was already condemned. He had no necessity to come to condemn the world. But what He did do is He would identify when there was sin... And when He would identify that there was sin, He would rebuke it. Because the Son of God, He is a lover of those. He is with those that love righteousness. He is with those that love peace. He is with those that love to rejoice. He is with those that love the nature of God, who, who despise iniquity and love holiness, who look to their lives and they almost get, as Paul did, where they mourn the reality of the flesh, that they would say, "Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Jesus one time was talking to a woman And as He was talking to her, He was revealing all the things that He knew about her. About the different husbands that she had. And about how the man that she was living with at that time wasn't even her husband. And Jesus' there we see His forgiveness for her. And we see how He he, he loved her and how He drew her back into relationship with Him. But do you know what He said as He was talking to her? He said, go and sin no more. That His love would be displayed and it would be realized, it would be reflected in this way. That we would love Him. That we would be obedient unto Him. And that we would strive to reflect His character and His nature. What am I trying to say? God has displayed and demonstrated His love toward us in the giving of His Son. That is how God has said, I love you. If you want to say, I love you, back to God, here is how you do it. You walk not according to the wisdom of the world. You walk not according to the flesh, but you walk according to the example of Christ. And you walk according to the obedience of His instruction. And you walk that He might be glorified. That He might be exalted. You walk not for your own purpose, but you walk for His. That is how we say I love you back to Him. All right, I want to end with a good part. The best part. If you turn with me over to first John John in his writings he referred to himself as the beloved disciple. And John had a firm grasp on the love of God. He had a firm grasp on the love of of Jesus and 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 of how that compelled him to love and here in 1 John chapter 3, he says a little bit more about that. Listen to what he says. He says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. I don't want anyone here to be mistaken. While that is using the masculine, it is as true as of the feminine. We are sons and daughters of God. We are children of God. Paul said it this way, that we are children whereby we cry, Abba, Father. <laughs> and if we are children of God, then we are heirs of God. Join heirs with Christ. That we're not just described as children. I think that's what ultimately we see being described here as we see Jesus talking about how He was the only begotten Son of God. These aren't just descriptions. You know, sometimes you're talking to somebody and they'll refer to someone else as son or as daughter or or you'll hear somebody else say that they were like a second mother to me and we use these descriptions. But what we're seeing in the Scriptures is that it's not just that we're called his children. We're not just called sons of God and daughters of God, but we're treated as sons of God and as daughters of God. We are given, we share in the inheritance. We are truly His children. He said, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world knows us not because it knew Him not. Beloved, now are we the children of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And every man that has this hope in Him purifies himself even as He is pure. John is writing, and he is describing about the nature of the love of God for us, not just in that He has given His Son, but in having given His Son those that come to Him, those that trust in Him, trust in Him for eternal life, that those that would believe in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life, that those that do so, He calls children. He adopts them as His own. That in trusting in the name of the only begotten, we ourselves are counted as sons and daughters of God. This is the miracle. This is the, the, the pinnacle of what it is to be saved. You see, Jesus Christ died for our sins and that would have been sufficient for our sins to no longer be counted against us. But it would not have been sufficient for us to be counted as righteous. You see, we're not just freed from sin, but we are counted as righteous. Do you know why we're counted as righteous? Because Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead. And because He resurrected, we are no longer held in account for our sins. We have both a means of forgiveness and a means of justification that we can be treated and counted and declared righteous because of the work of Jesus Christ. Listen to me, if you've been saved by God's grace, it's not just that your sins are forgiven, but it is that God sees you as righteous. I want that to set in on you for a minute. God sees you as righteous. He deals with you as one who is righteous. And you say, well, Derek, are you sure about that? Listen, we could not pray if it was not that God has counted us and declared us as righteous? How could we? What fellowship could we have? What communion could we have with the Holy God if not for the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ? We couldn't do it. That's why in the Old Testament that the high priest had to go into the holiest of holies and had to follow these strict requirements and he was the only one that could go in to that presence of God. There was not this free presence that we have now. There was a veil that was in between. But because of the work of Jesus Christ, that veil has been torn in two and we have direct access, bold access, the Hebrew writer tells us. We have bold access to the throne of God we can have a direct relationship with him that is how much god has loved us when I mean, you hear the things that i'm saying he has loved us in such a way that even though we who by the necessity and by the, the, the nature of this flesh are sinful he has made a way that we can have a relationship with him he has loved us in this way that he gave his son for us oh what it means to be saved Oh, what it is to be one of His children. That He has loved us in this way. That He has loved us so much that He gave His Son to buy us out of bondage and sin. Listen, we, we were slaves to sin. But God paid the price to purchase us out of slavery. He ransomed us. He bought us. And the price that was paid to buy us was the sacrifice of His only begotten Son. He paid a price that He didn't owe. I owed it. You owed it. But He paid it. (laughs) And God wrote on it, paid in full, that everyone that trusts in Him, our account has been settled. We used to sing that song, didn't we? The old account was settled long ago. It's settled up! We look at the ledger and it's balanced out. Because though there was a high price to be paid, Jesus paid it all. That's why we sing that song. All to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. He said, behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. And then he reasoned, he said, therefore the world does not know us. Why does it not know us? Because it doesn't know Him. The world sees us, and they don't understand us, they don't know about us, because we are of a heavenly Father. We are of one who is of another country. They look at us and they say, you are strangers here. You're not one of us. You don't talk like us. Your accent tells us you're from somewhere else. How you dress tells us that you're not a part of the world. How you behave yourself, you, you act differently than the rest of us do. You must be a part of somewhere else. You got that right. I sure am. It'd be good if the world said you don't talk like you're from here. It'd be good if the world said you don't dress like you're from around these parts. It'd be good if the world said you don't act like you're someone from here. Why? Because our citizenship is in heaven. Our treasures are laid up in heaven. And where our treasures are, there's our heart also. You see, we are just strangers. Pilgrims passing through this place. We're not here for long. We're just passing through for a little while before we go on to our long home. The world doesn't know us because it doesn't know Him. And He says, Behold, now we are the children of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. John was looking ahead to His coming. And he was saying, we're not yet as we shall be. Yeah, we might be different than the rest of the world here, We're not even as different as we're going to (laughs) be. That'll get you fired up. (laughs) I'm not even as different as I'm going to be. Because you see here, I still live in this temporary body. I still live in this temporary flesh. But I'm going to receive a spiritual body. (laughs) I'm going to receive one that doesn't have the imperfections of this flesh. I'm going to inherit one that can withstand the full glory of God. I mean, right now I'm even pondering it, and I can't even quite quite bring it underneath the the control of my mind to understand it. I must have one that is different than this one, so that I can, (laughs) in all eternity, be able to know the love and the glory of God. So I'm not yet who I'm going to be. You aren't either. Oh, praise God. I look out and I see these faces of faith church that I love so much. (laughs) But one day, (laughs) He's going to call us as His bride to Him. And we're going to take on a new body where we can partake of His glory forever. We are. If you've been saved by God's grace, you're going to be there with me. And you know what? Scripture says that we'll be known even as we are known. So I reckon I'll still be able to know you too. And this love that we share here, it will be perfected there. Isn't that incredible? We just get a little little piece of it here, a little taste of it here. Oh, but we're going to experience it in in its full reality when we get home. And we can call it home. You know why we can call it home? Because our father and our brothers and our sisters, they're already there. You see, I'm going to go home in a little while because my wife and my children are there. Sometimes I go home to to my parents' house. I even call it home still. Why? Because my parents are there. My wife, we go down to to her home sometimes because her parents are there. You see, wherever we leave these deep bonds here on this earth, we call it home. That's why we call these places home churches. Yeah, we'll go to other churches sometimes. We'll be a part of different congregations sometimes, but here's home. There's home. That's where I'm going. You can call me a stranger. and You're not offending me. You can call me different. You're not offending me. You can say you're not like everybody else. You're not offending me. No, no, no. You're recognizing me is what you're doing when you say that. You're right. You're right. Young people, listen to me. If anyone ever says you're different because you don't do the things that the world does, you just smile and say thank you for recognizing me. Thank you for getting a true recognition of who I am. Because I'm not like this world. I've been adopted as a child of God. I'm one of His. Praise God for how He loves us. He says, we are the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we do know this, that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. John was looking to the future, to the return of Christ. and He says that when we see him, we who are his, we're going to be like him, and we're going to see him as he is. Listen to what that means. In the Old Testament, there was a time where Moses went up on to the mountain. And there he talked to God. And he came down from that mountain and his face was, was, was shining so much just having been around the glory of God that the people could not withstand it and they had to put a veil over his face. They, they couldn't bear to see it. But when we see Him in His glory... There will be no veil that's necessary, but we will see Him as He is, for we will be like Him. I can't even begin to scratch the surface of the depths of that. Not just because we don't have the time, but because my brain can't even comprehend what that's going to be like. But what I do know is Scripture is true. Paul testified the same thing John's testifying here in the book of 1 Thessalonians. That we'll be changed in the moment in the twinkling of an eye. That we'll all rise to meet him in the air, and there we shall ever be with the Lord. So I can't explain the half of it. First Corinthians 15th chapter, Paul goes through great depths of detail about how this body that is sown in mortality will be raised up to be immortal. But this body of sin will be raised up to, to no longer be that body of sin. And we can read that and we can study there and we can study 1 Thessalonians. We can study here in 1 John chapter 3. And even then, we still cannot even begin to wrap our minds around the reality of what it will be like on that day when we see Jesus face to face. But I know this, as John said, that we shall see Him as He is. I'm going to look Jesus... Face to face. (laughs) In that moment, if I was in the flesh, I think I would just cripple over. Wouldn't you? How could you withstand it? But we'll be like Him. And so we can praise Him for all eternity. Then He says this, and I'll close here. This is that every man that has this hope in Him purifies himself even as he is pure. Paul, or excuse me, John, making a reference to our life seeing that God has loved us in this way, seeing that we will see Him face to face while we are here, let us seek to purify ourselves. Let us seek to live righteously. Let us seek to live a life that is obedient unto Him even as He also is pure. As we enter into this Christmas season, I pray that you would see the love of God showered all, all around you. And If you stop, if you get real still, when you start looking around, you'll start seeing it. And you'll see the love of God on display in your life. You'll see the love of God on display in the lives of others. And you'll know truly and with certainty that God loves you. He has told us. And what we try tried to look at today is how, how He has said it. God has said, I love you in this way, that He gave His only begotten Son, that those that believe in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. God bless you. Something on your heart? Something God wants you to say to you.